Good morning. A beautiful spring day. We're glad you're here. It's been a great morning already. I just think from the time of the baptism and Scott's story and sharing his heart so powerfully to, to just listening to you all sing, Lord, I need you, just declaring our dependence on our Father. And I think our teaching today will just move us even deeper into this whole kind of movement we've been in since we got here this morning. But one thing I want you to think about to start with is that when you think about the scriptures, there's a lot of things we can say about scripture, but, but one thing we can say for sure is that the whole of scripture is really uh, taking the, the mysterious, uh, transcendent, spirit, divine life of God and making a connection to the daily human in the flesh lives that we live. And, and you'd be hard pressed to find one book that does a more thorough, uh, more, a deeper or more uh, laser focused job of taking this, these two realities, just life and the life of God and, and how these come together. You'd be hard pressed to look at a book that would do more than the book of the Gospel of John. And we've been in there, we've been through about seven chapters now in several months. So if you would please turn to John chapter 1, verse 1. Because our teaching pastor Greg and I said, well, I think we can do better, let's start over. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> No, because from John 1, 1 forward, I want to show you how thoroughly, how deeply, how passionately John is taking these two realities and bringing them together. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, not was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. Verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. This magnificent, transcendent God, the Word of God, now coming into the world. John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The God-man, physical, visible reality. And the rest of verse 14, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, connectivity from this mystery to our lives, the divine to the daily, the invisible to the visible, the majestic and mysterious to the mundane and routine. He entered into our world. And this is the, 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 the walk we're in with John, is understanding, okay, what does that look like to have that life of God in my life connected to just everyday life and everyday world? And, and there's one subject in the book of John that just is consistently a focus of what this really looks like, what's really happening here. And it's the topic of love. 1 Corinthians is a book that has a lot to say about love. As a matter of fact, if you read 1 Corinthians, there'll be 15 times where love will be directly, specifically addressed. If you read the Gospel of John, there'll be 39. When John, the writer of the Gospel of John, writes the epistles, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, 1st John has five chapters, 26 specific references to love. If you could get all the biblical authors in the room and you gathered them all and you said, we want to hear them teach, and we said, we need one of the authors to speak on worship, David, King David, you've got to come. You wrote the Psalms, you've got to come. And, and imagine all the authors, we, we want to hear about wisdom. Well, it's got to be Solomon, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. 
He wanted all these, these great men, these teachers to, to come and talk about justification by faith. It had to be Greg Pinker, I mean, Apostle Paul. And I get, the, I get them confused sometimes. But if you want to talk about love, it's got to be John. John sees everything through this relational lens. I mean, it's just, it's just who he is. When he refers to himself in his gospel, he talks about the disciple whom Jesus loved. He, he, it's not that Jesus didn't love the other disciples. It's just that's the way G, John thought of himself, as being loved by Jesus. John 13. Turn to John 13. Here's a, here's a fascinating, wonderful, and scary truth. John chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Fascinating. The litmus test, the checkpoint, the, is how's it going? Is how is this life connecting to daily life is, is found in love? Wonderful. That this thing that we value so much is what God values so much. That the reason we value it so much is because it is who he made us to be, and he made us to be like him. You know, every movie, superheroes, Superman, Spider-Man, Iron Man, the love interest is really what drives the story. Historical fiction, Pearl Harbor, Titanic, you can't tell a blockbuster movie story without the love interest that's really driving the emotion of the story. Braveheart and Gladiator, William Wallace, Maximus, Meridius, Meridius. It's a story about love. Every song is sung, every novel read, but scary, 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 scary that Jesus says to you and me as his disciples, now love like I loved. Oops. If you take this seriously, it's not sentiment, it's not hallmark, it's not religious ideology, it's the, the life and heart of Jesus you should, your appropriate response, I'm waiting for uh, Clint Eastwood to walk in there right now. <laughs> if I wasn't scared before, I am now. <laughs> well, it could have been a lot worse, right? Could have been Teletubbies or something. Okay, so. Um, where was I? So. If you really understand the commandment, you should be scared, and so that's why we're going to spend four weeks talking about love fearlessly. This is not meant to scare you. This is meant to bring you to life, to move you to places that you wouldn't naturally go. We're going to, we're going to take this understanding of this divine reality and this love in our lives and, and, and bring them together. And what I'm going to do this morning is build a bridge out of the Gospel of John into this series. I'm going to try to help us understand what we're up against. Why we, what we're going to need and help us understand how Jesus would conceive of this. And first of all, let's talk about just two huge cultural barriers that we all deal with. I mean, two barriers, one cultural and one personal. The first cultural barrier is just how people actually interact with each other in the early 21st century. In the 1930s, someone imagined the future in this way. Isn't that fascinating? Like, Greg and I were talking about this, like, like you can... See people on your phone. Who would have ever thought of that, right? But you still have to have wires and a big box next to you, so that's kind of interesting. 
see, they're conceiving in the future in the way, best way they can, but they're saying in the future, people are just, they're going to have this remote ability to communicate and they're going to be all focused in on that. And there's evidently some truth to that. <laughs> what they could not foresee, as someone noted on Twitter, is that the people would then take their phones and take pictures of their food. They never saw that coming, right? <laughs> a 20 something has written a book recently called, it's called Connected. Uh, curing the pandemic of everyone feeling alone together. She says this, you have, may have lots of Twitter followers who love everything you tweet or tons of people in your contacts who love to get a funny text from you, but there is a dramatic difference between being loved and being known. The Bible gives us a picture of souls knit together that I think is a picture of what many of us are missing in our highly, quote, connected world. And I think her observation is so true. You realize that you have more people you interact with every day than most people who lived in the 19th century interacted with in their entire lifetime. You have a muted, thinned out, disconnected level of high connectedness around you. And her point is that we start to think about the way people respond to us and our tweets and our texts. And all. We start to think about relationship is I am loved by people who like what I do. I am loved by people who like what I say. When the God intended for us to be loved by people who know who we are. And that trend, if you add to that, uh, the loss of family stability, scandals in churches, scandals in government, scandals in, in uh, every institution you can imagine, the, the tearing apart of the heart and the soul and the fabric of our being through sex, the sexual revolution, you come to the place where a recent study that was done over 50 years, over 50 years found that since 1978 to 2012, high school seniors' level of trust that you can trust in people has dropped by 44%. As a matter of fact, in 2012, only 18% of high school seniors would affirm most people can be trusted. And this lack of connection, this lack of trust, this lack of, of being in environments that move us to be known and, and to know wars against the biblical command, the biblical expectation, the biblical vision that we would love as Christ has loved us. What also wars against us is we've all lived long enough to have issues compounded by our own personal stuff. We can all fill in the blank. Blank is just, just hard for me to love. One of the ways that I'm unloving towards blank is the way I... For me in general, the most difficult part of loving someone is, and we all have those, don't we? I'm extraordinarily goal-oriented. I'm extraordinarily independent. And if I can find a way to avoid dealing with conflicts or hard things or dealing with things so I can keep reaching my goals and not have to mess with my time, I will do it. I will be unloving towards people in order to get where I want to go. I will maneuver and manipulate to get where I want to go rather than dealing with people straight on and dealing with them in a loving way. And I will, even after 32 years of wonderful marriage to a wonderful woman, still distract myself, hide myself, and refuse to really make myself available to who she is on a consistent basis. The deepest regret wound I carry regarding from a relationship is, and we can all fill in this blank, because we as people are all wounders and we're all wounded. 
And so when Jesus says a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. If you're paying attention at home, you're starting to say, oh, oh, that's probably not what's happening most of the day. First John 3, 3 says this, John writes this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, laying aside ourselves for the sake of others. And this is the commandment, that we believe in the name of Jesus Christ and love one another just as he commanded us. Please understand the rich, deep, powerful, scary thing that has just been said. Loving one another is not the premium package of being a Christian. It's not like the car wash where you say, I'm going to get the $5, the $8, the $15, or the $35. I'm going to get the basic or the premium. We tend to think the basic, believe in Jesus, accept Jesus as your Savior, and go to heaven. I take that basic package. There is no, there aren't multiple packages. There's just one. Taking in Jesus includes learning to love as he loved. And here's our problem. Jesus' love equals the perfection of human love. The biblical vision for our love and the biblical commands for our love equal love like Jesus' love. Therefore, the biblical vision and commands regarding love in Scripture are greater than our capacity. Greater than your capacity. You are being asked... You are being commanded. You are being expected to do what you cannot do. Just this simple list makes it obvious to all of us. So we retreat to our technology. We build walls of self-protection. We get in false community where we do for others because it works for us. We buy into the culture's definition of intimacy, which is I love you loving me. Let me repeat that. The cultural definition of intimacy is, I love you loving me. And Jesus leads us somewhere else. And it's scary, and, and it's, it's wonderful, and it's powerful, and you were made for it, and you hunger for it. But if you're like me, you're not really sure how to do it. So we're going to spend four weeks exploring this, but we're going to need what I'm about to give. We're going to have to start here if we're going there. Otherwise, in the next four weeks, you'll either shut it down, turn it off, or get real religiously guilty, none of which are what Jesus intended. I want to show you what Jesus intended. Turn to John chapter 8, verse 28. John chapter 8, verse John 8:28 So Jesus said to them When you have lifted up the son of man then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of my own authority but speak just as the father taught me and he who sent me is with me He who sent me is with me he has not left me alone for I always do the things that are pleasing to him Jesus was revealed in John more than anywhere else that everything he understood about the life he lived came from 
My Father is with me. He has not left me alone. I am loved. And in John 17, when he's praying to the Father about what's about to happen, the betrayal, the arrest, the rejection, the abandonment, the torture, the humiliation, the horror, the, the wrath we deserved on him. Turn to John 17, 22 to hear the heart of Jesus, how he prayed for himself, he prayed for us, and how he understood how love works. John 17, 22 and 23. John 17, 22 and 23. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Jesus, as hard as I want the world to know, Father, that you're with me and you love me, and now I want them to be loved in such a way the world will know that we are with them. Father, I desire, and that word is not like a, well, I hope this works out. Wouldn't it be cool? Hey, can we do this? This is, I will. I, I choose. I, I, I move my being towards this. I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. When Jesus walks to the cross, when Jesus is swept and beaten, when he's rejected and torn, when he's betrayed and spat upon, he walks there all the time with the knowledge that before the foundation of the world, my Father loved me. And that is the reality of my life. You cannot change that reality by any set of circumstances in Jesus. He knows, he knows, he knows. I am loved by the Father. My Father is with me. Oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these that you have sent me. I made it known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in Your only hope of loving fearlessly is that Jesus is offering to you the love that he and the Father share. That your identity and your knowledge of that truth makes it possible for you to walk through any circumstance. That it is the most intimate, precious relationship above all. It is where we are known and loved for who we really are with all that that includes. Jesus is in the embrace of the Father saying, I want them with us. I want them to have this. Now, I don't know how many of you were here for the baptism, but if you were here for the baptism and you saw Scott's video and, and he talked so, so poignantly, so powerfully about his father, what you didn't get to see is when I'm standing back here and after the baptism, the embrace of a son folding into the arms of a father. I've been lead pastor of this church for, I don't know, 12 years, 13, I don't know how long it's been. Some of you say, it's been a long time. I don't know. But I never will remember any moment more than what I just watched. 
And I said to them, it's a shame I can't just put this on the screen and keep my mouth shut because this is what I want people to know. Jesus joins us to his personal relationship with and his personal experience of the Father's love. That driving need inside of you, that longing ache within you, that sense of of not wanting to be alone, that sense of not wanting to be rejected, that sense of wanting to be somebody and to matter and to be a beloved person, Jesus joins us to the Father that we can have that relationship. Peter, when he writes his epistles, refers to believers as beloved John, when he writes, writes beloved. Paul describes the believers as beloved. Jude describes the believers as beloved. And this is the love. The love of the Father for the Son is now ours to share and experience. And I know you long for it. And you long for it to be a part of, of your real life. Not your church deal, not your daily Bible readings only, not your uh, going to mission trips only. Like for this to really soak into just the stuff of life. You know, this weekend I was uh, in Chicago. My co-author, Jana, who's a dear friend of mine, we were doing a, a, a teaching, a conference, took some of our interns from fellowship and teaching uh, pastors and ministry leaders and PhD students and different folks about just the whole way of thinking about uh, the young adult life and the generation we're in and what the gospel means in that generation. It's just a great experience. But, but just like in the... Like in, in like less than like maybe 15 hours, I had this. I'm, I'm sitting with Jana, who's been my friend for 25 years, like a sister to me, is a, like an aunt to my children, uh, just somebody I love so much, love working with her. And we're sitting and we're kind of at a break in our teaching and yesterday morning and something I just kind of read in a text and really touched my heart and I started talking about it and I just started crying. And I said, oh, God, I could talk to everybody else in this room and pretend this didn't touch me this way, but I can't talk to my friend about this without letting you see what's really going on in here. And then my uh, uh, best friend in Chicago, Stephen, that I've known for 28 years, who um, could describe the really bad parts of me better than anybody else except my wife, who could tell you what is like miserably wrong with me, (laughs) who could tell you where I'm vulnerable and weak and frail, and we sat in my favorite, one of my favorite restaurants in Chicago and just, I don't know how many times we teared up just having two hours just to talk about life. And, and then to come home and, and at past midnight and crawl into bed with my wife of 32 years to come up and just to snuggle and to be next to her and to know her love and her embrace. And, and this is all God's work. It's what he does. It's what he does. And it's only a glimpse of how much he loves. As wonderful as my wife is, as crazy as it is to have friends like Jan and Stephen, it's not the full picture of how beloved I am to him. This is what Jesus longed for. Jesus says, Father, Son, and Spirit, this is, this is who God is, the Father in relationship with the Son, the Spirit in relationship with the Father and the Son. And, and so many of us, when we think about what it means to be a Christian, we think of this. So we believe in Jesus, now we belong to Jesus, and we need to be what 
God wants us to be, and we need to worship God like we're supposed to, and we need to give, and we need to serve, and we need to have the right relationship with Jesus. And I will tell you that what you're looking at is all wrong. That is religion. It's wrong. You cannot love fearlessly if you think that is the spiritual journey. The disciples did. I mean, this is like, okay, so they're walking with Jesus in the world. He's related to the Father. He's got this relationship with us, and and now they have this relationship with Jesus. And, like, it's not going to get better, right, than having this kind of relationship with Jesus, right? And in John 16, 7, Jesus said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go... I will send him to you. We just left everything, and you just told us to believe and follow you, and you're saying, oh, by the way, it gets really good when I leave. How could it be better than that? It could be this. It could be the Spirit of God given to invade your heart and life with the very relationship of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. It could be life brought into who you are. It could be, as Scripture talks about, being filled with the Spirit, being full of the Spirit, being gifted by the Spirit. Jesus said, He will glorify me, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that He will take what is mine and declare it to you. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. This is Jesus just reiterating this, trying to help them understand what He's saying. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. And you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, and the Spirit will indwell who you are and enlarge himself in your life. And that, brothers and sisters, is the beginning of understanding what it means to love fearlessly and to love as Jesus loved. It's not your capacity. It's his. It's not your love. It's his. It's not your power. It's his. Jesus joins us to his personal relationship with and his personal experience of the Father's love. And the diagram I just gave you is not strong enough because now you've got to understand this. That not only is he indwelling, but he's inviting. Jesus joins us to his personal relationship with and his personal experience of the Father's love. And right here is where it hits the road. It doesn't hit the road because you get dressed and come in on Sunday morning and sing songs with people and agree with everybody on what we should be doing. It doesn't come because you think the sermon is good or bad. It doesn't come because you serve in something here or do that. These are all wonderful things, all good and all this. This is where we need to be loved like the Father. And to look at our lives and look at where we are, and it's so tempting to think, well, gosh, if he loved me this, if he loved me here, and to say, no, my identity, I'm beloved. I am loved. The most loved person who ever lived is Jesus Christ. That's why he loved the most with the Father's love, and he's joining us to that love. And our, our thing, we're always trying to, well, if I had this, if I were this, or maybe if God did this, he loved me, and he loves me, and he loves me more because he gave me this, and... My, my boys are 25 months apart. When they were little, it was constant. 
Why did he get to do that? I want one of those. He got one of those. Why did he get, why did he get, why did he get to eat that? Why did I go first? I'm just, oh, anybody live through this? So about 13, 14, we thought, okay, it's time. So it happened. And one of the kids said, well, I don't understand because he got to go there and then he got that and you didn't do that for me. And, and we just said to him, one of our sons, it's because we love him more than you. We always have, and we always will. Are my kids scarred? Probably. But it sure felt good. And I waited till they were old enough to understand how absurd the statement was. If, if I'll do these things, Jesus will love me more. That's absurd. In this is love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, that he's paid the price for our sins. Beloved, <laughs> this is John, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. And then verse 19, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. John understands true love wills love, and the love of the Father in us wills us into love. Our lives are not like that, and our lives are not like this. Our lives are like this, and now you're ready for, like, this is where this whole thing gets really like, I, this is my favorite part, because we think that life is getting our 401k together, getting that degree getting that relationship to work, getting that boyfriend, girlfriend, having success here, being healthy. We think that's life. I'm going to show you what God's doing. Just watch what's happening as he indwells and invites. He's moving you. He's moving you. He's drawing you in. He's drawing you into himself and to his heart. And he's joining us to him. Jesus joins us to his personal relationship with and his personal experience of the Father's love. Now, you, say, you could say, but Rick, what about this in John? This seems to be, what I'm about to read seems to be much more supportive of the southern religious teachings and churches and lifestyle that we've all absorbed as a part of this Bible Belt. Jesus says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. Wait, 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 wait. I thought you said he loved you before the foundation of the world. You're saying now that he loves you because you obeyed him? John 15, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Oh, I knew it. There you go. There's the condition. There's the fine print. Beloved, for the foundation of the world, want to be joined with the Father, as long as you keep getting it right. No. The beloved, before the foundation of the world, the invitation, the indwelling doesn't change for a person who's a true believer. You don't lose that. You don't throw that away. But understand this. Jesus says the experience of the affections of his Father 
are fleshed out as he walks with his Father to the places the Father wills, and as we walk to the places the Father wills, as we walk into the places where we are afraid to love, it is those very places, it's those very places we most deeply experience how loved we are. We don't know how deeply loved we are until we go to the place where we need it more. Jesus knew the greatest love because his love was never broken with the Father, and he kept going to places that he needed the Father's love all the time. Think of it this way. This, once you're a believer, this is a true reality. But if you're not willing to press through your comfort zone, if you're staying self-protected, if you do like me and say, hey, I'm doing, I'm doing so well here, I give myself an A and a B and a C, and here I've got an F, but I'm not going to worry about that because over here that's, God's got to be impressed with that. And so what happens is it starts to thin. And our experience of, our awareness of, our connectivity to the Father is thinned and and diminished, not because he loves us any less, but because we have been unwilling to surrender ourselves to, Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you. My righteousness And that's how there's a thickening of our experience of the affection of our God. And I will promise you this. If for four weeks you will yield your heart to the Word of God and His Spirit, two things. One, He'll ask you to go somewhere you don't want to go. And two, if you go there, you're going to be more aware of more experienced in and more filled with the reality of how loved you are. Perfect love casts out fear, not by making it before you, it's not, it's not by, well, okay, God, okay, I'm not afraid anymore. Now I get to go do it. It's like, no, in the midst of the doing, the love overwhelms the fear. But if you don't risk it, you'll never know how sweet it is. The Spirit's indwelling you and inviting you to the love of the Father with Jesus. Let's stand and pray. Our elders and some of their spouses will be available for prayer afterwards. If there's a place in this where you say, could you just pray for me in this relationship or pray for me in this place or I've got a scary issue I'm dealing with, it could be your health and I want to be pray for healing. It could be a, 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 a need that you have. You just need to be prayed for. Our elders love to pray with you. And some of you miss out on great opportunities to connect to God's beloved heart for you because you won't put yourself in the place of just being prayed for. So I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to invite you. I'm going to encourage you. Be willing to be prayed for or you will find more of how loved you really are. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what we're about to encounter in this series. Thank you for walking us to some new places. Thank you that this life that you've called us to is a is a continual indwelling of your spirit and an inviting into relationship and a deepening relationship. Father, thank you that Jesus willed this. Thank you that you willed this. And now for your glory and for our great joy, would you draw us into what it means to love as you loved so that we might know more of what it means to be loved by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Grace and peace.